Give the Lord a hand as you sit down. Praise God. Great morning. Great morning. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball, and I hope you've had a great week. A little cold snap before uh, it gets back to Texas. Uh, that, that's kind of the way I'll say it. Uh, hey, if you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 28, looking at the Great Commission, um, a series in the Great Commission. So Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be. So as you're flipping there, uh, first you go to Matthew chapter 28, but we're going to spend time in a second passage, and that's going to be Philippians chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 28 and Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read from both of those passages um, this morning, and, uh, and then we will jump into uh, the message, uh, which is simply titled, Go. And if you ever wondered, Kevin, would you ever give me a definition of go in a sermon? You're going to get it. Uh, and you're going to get some Greek today. It's going to change your life. It's going to be so good. All right. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16, says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, there's our word, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now jump over to Philippians chapter 2. Once again, it'll be on the screen as well. Looking at verses 5 through 11, it says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you simply say go. You call us to go, and the reason you call us to go is, is because you came. We go because you came to earth. You left heaven in glory and honor and came to us that we might know you and be reconciled and in relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and as we focus in on a simple word in your gospel, that you would help us to be people, men and women, who take seriously the call to go to make, to make disciples. Lord, I lift up each person here that you would guide our hearts, that you would guide our thoughts so that we would look more and more like the people we need to be so we can do the things that you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Remember the first time I saw the movie Lord of the Rings? Um, if you can picture back to that moment when you first saw the movie Lord of the Rings, and if you haven't seen the movie, hey, there's still time. 
you're still alive, you should get there, and, and just plan on spending about eight to 12 hours of your life uh, investing in these movies, because I've watched all of them, I'm, and I've watched all of them and the extended features, the features of the features, like I've watched every single bit of it, and I love the beginning of, of the movie because you see these young hobbits Young hobbits that, that don't have like a lot going for them. I mean, the, the, the greatest aspirations of their young lives or their little lives are to, to hang around in the fields, go to the pub, hang out with some buddies. Like the greatest aspirations of their life is just to walk along on their hairy feet in their comfortable little environments and just enjoy life. That's their greatest aspirations. But then everything changes when something is introduced into their world. This ring, this ring of power, this ring that had the, the ability to control people and their thoughts, it was created by a dark lord in Mordor, and, and this, young, this ring was given to this young man, Frodo. And immediately when he's given this ring, he thinks, I gotta get rid of this thing. Like someone else has to, has to take the journey for this ring, to destroy this ring. Someone else has to take this ring and do something with it. And so they have this, this council, this moment when you have dwarves and men and just different people getting together. And, and Frodo in that moment is saying, hey, someone else has to do something with this if they're going to save Middle Earth, save our little world. And so as they're, they're going in this moment, what becomes clear is that each person is fighting and each one has kind of their own agenda to take over this ring. And so Frodo just says in this moment, okay, okay, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll take this ring and I'll go to the gates of Mordor. And I will take the first step to saving our little world. I'll go. And what's dramatic about that moment is that you see this young, inexperienced, unqualified, unimpressive hobbit go on this great adventure and go on this great journey. And it took the decision. It took the decision in his mind to say, you know what, I'm gonna go. Not because I'm ready, not because I'm great, not because I'm the best one for the job. I'm gonna go because this mission is passively. This mission is too big to just sit by passively. I have to go. And the truth is, every great story you'll see requires this decision. A moment when someone says, I will go. You see it in Star Wars, when young Ray says, I will go to planet Crate to learn some Jedi skills from this Jedi master, Luke Skywalker, who doesn't want to train anyone. I'm going to go. I'm going to take that step, and I'm going to launch in on this adventure. I'm not going to sit passively. I'm going to go on this mission. Every person that is used greatly in life and every person that is used greatly by God has to make this decision of when they say, I will go. Abraham. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. God says to Abraham, the OJ, the original Jew, go, and when you go, I will bless you. You go. He said it to Moses in Exodus. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I'm, I'm telling you to come, but I'm only telling you to come so that you'll go. That I'm going to send you to Pharaoh so you're going to save my people. And Jonah, my favorite verses in the Bible. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. 
that great city and call out against it further. Evil has come before me. Go to Nineveh. And it says, as soon as Jonah heard that, he says, great, I'm going toward to Tarshish, the exact opposite direction. What's fascinating is that God calls people to go. Sometimes he calls people to go to a place that is far beyond their experience in the life of Abraham. Sometimes the go is actually go back to where you just were. That's in the life of Moses. He was in Egypt. He says, I want you to go back to that place. And sometimes it's even to go to the place you hate in the life of Jonah. But the call is always to go, to go, to go. Every adventure in life requires the courageous first step of going. For some of you, it was taking that job. It was saying, I'm gonna go to this new city. You've come to Houston, the Houston area. You've come to Tomball because it was a job opportunity. You said, "I, I feel like this is the next step. I'm gonna go. For some of you, you married that person. Because you saw them in that room and you walked over, you said, I gotta go. And you had that conversation with that girl and it may have been awkward, it may have been weird, but you decided to go. Every great adventure requires you to take the step to go. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. See, God's in calling... um, timid Christians. He's calling us to be willing to take steps of faith and go, to be courageous, to be one that engages in the adventure, to be ones that go. And so to to, to get us there, to show us what it looks like to go in our context, we're going to first look at, at the definition, the meaning of go. We're going to look at a new model for living, secondly, And thirdly, we're going to look at what we were missing if we refuse to go. So we're going to look at the meaning, the model, and what we might be missing if we choose not to go. The first, looking at the meaning of what it means to go. Now, some of you may not be aware of this, but your Bible is written in in, in two or three different languages, Um, Hebrew and Aramaic, mostly in the Old Testament. And the New Testament is written largely in Greek. That is the Greek, uh, the Greek language was for the New Testament. It, it was written there por- purposefully um, because Greek was the, the common language of the day. And because it was the common language of the day, it would spread most quickly to the world. So the, the New Testament was written in Greek, not Hebrew, so that it could go more quickly. This is crucial. It would be like why many things are translated into English today. Because English is the common language of business in the world, lots of things are translated to English so that it can be more accessible to more people. In the same way, the Bible was written in Greek so it would move. That's crucial. And Jesus says in this text, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what you might not know in the Greek language, um, it's it's very specific in, in what it's saying. And here's what it's saying. There is one main verb in that, in that verse where it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe. There is one main imperative, one main command in that text. The command to do this. And the command isn't go, it isn't baptize, and it isn't teach. The command is to make disciples. In our English language, we have, we translate it, make disciples. It's actually one word in Greek. It means disciple, 
Discipleize, disciple people. So the main verb, the action of the text is to make disciples. We looked at that last week, to disciple people. But there are three what are called participles. So those are like I-N-G uh, verbs. One of them is going, go. The other one is baptizing. And the last one is teaching. Going, baptizing, teaching. So the main thing that Jesus is saying is I want you to disciple people. But in order to do that, there's some elements that are part of that. It requires us to go, to baptize, and to teach. So going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, lots of people have debated about, okay, what what does that mean? What does that mean if, if we're supposed to be going and baptizing and teaching? Interestingly, New Testament scholars spend a lot of pages defining what this means. And so I'm paraphrasing some New Testament literature for you. You ready for this? Some of you are really excited. Some of you are like, ah, Kevin, where are the stories? We'll get there to the stories. But I want to give you the text, okay? Here is the Greek word, so you can see it. There's the English language. It's, it's poreomai or poreo. Poreo is the verb. And it's, it's translated as, as, as go, make disciples. But it could be also translated going, make disciples. And so because it's translated going, some translators say, well, what it means is as you are going. So as you are living life, as you are doing things, as you happen to be going to the store, see if you can make a disciple along the way. As you are uh, going uh, to fix your car, see if you can make a disciple as you're doing that. But, and, and what ends up happening is that that word, be, that participle becomes something you do as you're kind of living life. But that's actually not the emphasis according to New Testament scholar Daniel Wallace. He has an article titled The Great Suggestion. You can go Google it later on and get these details in it. And he says, look, here's what's happening in that usage of that word. It's actually being used as, as something tying it to the imperative, make disciples. It's tying it there. They're deeply connected. And so it's so connected, it actually pulls the force of that. He says, you have to go in order to make disciples. You have to move in order to get there. You can't just passively go through life and hope disciples will form. You actually have to have an intentional mindset if you want to do this. You have to go. And he gives several verses in the New Testament that tie this idea together. So I'm going to give you those verses right here. It says this, verse 2, or Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. Go and look carefully for the child. Go and look carefully. You can't look carefully for a child if you're unwilling to go to the child, right? So he's saying go in order to do this. Go and learn what this means. So go and learn, that same idea of like, you have to, you have to go, you have to do something in order to learn. Or it says in verse Matthew 11, go and tell John what you hear and see. So I want you to tell John the Baptist some information, but you're gonna have to go in order to do it. It's requiring a movement to get there. Verse 20, Matthew 28, verse seven, go and tell his disciples. Go quickly. He's saying, go, get your move on so that you can tell someone this. And the last one, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go and make disciples. And all of these translations, they're saying the same thing. Not a passively as you are going in life, but actually tying it to the command. You must go in order to disciple. The definition of go means this. All of that to say, it means this. You've got to go. You've got to go. In order to disciple, it requires movement. And listen, every parent who's ever been at a soccer game knows the force of the word go. 
So my son plays soccer five year, uh, for, for past several years. He's uh, nine years old. And so I was there this weekend at the soccer fields. And they were all there on the sidelines. Great parents. How are you doing? So great. So nice. And then the game starts. The whistle blows. The ball's there. And every now and then you see a passive kid, right? He's like kind of doing his own thing, looking around. And you see that one mom. And she's so sweet at first. She's like, oh, that's my baby. He's amazing. Oh, that's my baby. And she's so sweet to you. And then that ball is sitting there and her son is not moving. And so what does that mama do? <gasps> go, boy, right? She yells, go. And what does she mean when she yells, go? Hey, consider, as you are on the field of play, <laughs> kicking the ball once in a while. Consider, it might be helpful to go over there where that ball is and do something. No, there's a force to the command, right? It, tie, it ties it to it. Go play soccer, go kick the ball, do something. And what Jesus is saying is, look, I want you to make disciples and it's gonna require you to go do something. Going means I cannot stay stagnant. I must move, I must be moving. And if I'm not moving, then I'm not going. This is so crucial. This is so crucial, that's so why I'm spending time in this. For many of us in our Christian life, we wonder why we don't see God do more in our midst. And for many of us, it might be because we haven't actually started moving yet. We're just waiting for something to happen. And Jesus is saying to his boys, if this message is gonna go, if people's lives are gonna be changed, it means you can't stay here and look for a new Bible study leader to lead you 11 leftovers. You have to go and make disciples. He says, I want you to go. And then he gives them a model for what it looks like to go. We go because Jesus came. We go because that's what our God is like. Our God is a God who goes. And Paul gives this perfect description of what it looks like to go in Philippians chapter two. The context of this is Paul in, in Philippians is Paul is writing to the church of Philippi and he's trying to get his people to, to clothe themselves in humility, to be humble people. But also within it, you see this interesting mix that he's saying in, in Philippians. He's saying, I want you to be people that model your life after Jesus Christ. I want you to be people that live your life like Jesus lived his life. And so he's, he gives this amazing description of what it looks like to live the life like Jesus lived. And Jesus lived a life in which he went. He came to earth. He left heaven for us. And here's the way it says it in Philippians. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in this description, he gives us several steps of what it looks like to model our going like Jesus modeled his coming. The first is this, a change in thinking. How we're thinking. I cannot think the same way and go. 
The word uh, there for thinking is have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That mind is thoughtful planning. That's really the essence of the word. I want you to have a thoughtful planning with an emphasis on attitude and disposition. I want to be one that thinks about what is ahead. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul is saying, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He's saying you can have the mind, a mind like Christ if you're in Christ. If you're in the family, you can think like the son. Isn't that fascinating? He says, if you're in Christ, you can have this mind. This mindset is yours in Christ Jesus. You can change the way that you think about life if you are in Christ. This is yours if you're in him. So if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you can have the mind of Christ. Um, when I was in College Station, there was, a, there was an amazing family that, that was there, and they actually had a lake house. And they were part of our church community. And what was, what was amazing is that, that they would go and they would spend um, a lot of summers uh, there at, that lake ha- at a lake house with their, with their family. They had this amazing lake house and these amazing boats they would let people go out on. And it was, it was absolutely incredible. And if you were a son, you got to use those boats and those jet skis. But what was amazing is how they just blessed uh, really the church community with their home. I'm, so many times we'd have uh, events or, or, or trainings or just times we wanted to get away. And they would always say this, hey, would you want to use our lake house? And I was like, hey, I'm not even your kid. Why would you let me use your lake house? They're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. You can get the jet skis. You can go on the boat. I'm like, why would you do that? And they're like, hey, you're part of our community. All of this is yours. You just got to let us know when you're using it. I was like, that's an incredible gift. And what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying in this moment, like the mind of Christ is yours and all the benefits if you're in the Son. Come, enjoy this. So first we have to change our thinking. I cannot think the same way about my life and be going. And I have to have my mind changed by Christ. And I can be changed. But the second piece you see this is that requires releasing. Verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. See, Jesus was eternally in the presence of God the Father. He was eternally with God. He had all the benefits of heaven. So he was glorious. He was there in glory. He was co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. He was in the very form of God. That word form is morphe. It denotes outward manifestation. He says, you were, you were in the form of God. You looked like God. And although you looked like God and deserved the worship and honor of God, you didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning, he didn't grip tightly to his rights and privileges of God. He didn't say, hey, I deserve X, Y, or Z. I deserve worship. I deserve honor. I deserve praise. He released himself of those things. He says, I'm not gonna grasp what I deserve, but I'm going to release the honor and esteem that I would deserve as being God. And then he says, I'm gonna humble myself, verse seven. But he emptied himself by taking on the form and the likeness of men. What he means by that is this. Not that he gave up his godness. He just didn't hold on to it. Not that he lost any of his 
qualities of being God. Jesus remained being omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, and um, omnipotent. He retained all of his godness. He just didn't grip it. Mark Twain has a, a short story uh, or a book called The Prince and the Pauper, where there was a, a prince who was born in, in London, and he kind of released his, his glory as a king and, and traded places, traded roles with a, with a poor person. They changed lives. And so what this, it's a similar idea that he released what he could have had and took on another life. He left, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He left glory and honor and respect and took on what was normal life. And he took on a normal life. And just think about that. You have glory and honor. See, some of you would not go to a, a bad hotel you didn't like. Jesus left heaven to become human. He left glory to get messy. He says he, he came to be born, and he'd be born a human, and he wasn't even a wealthy human. He was born in a, in a stable. He wasn't even a powerful human to powerful parents. He was born to impoverished parents. And he didn't even get honored as a human. In fact, many times in Jesus' own life, he didn't have enough money to pay the tax that was owed. So he said to Peter, hey, I need a miracle for this one. You go cast a net out, get a fish, reach into its mouth, you're gonna see some coins, you can use that to pay our temple tax. Like, he was not a wealthy man. He left glory and honor, and he took on humility to become human. And then, it says, not only did he leave the honor that he was due, he took on the sacrifice of our sins. Verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. To go means I cannot escape discomfort. He sacrificed everything. He became human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. I want you to think about this for a moment. It's a new thinking that caused him to be releasing and humbling himself, not taking what he deserved and sacrificing himself. And it was only when he went all through all of those steps that cost him his life did he receive. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and earth, and every tongue confess that he is Lord. You see what Jesus did? You see what going looks like in the life of Jesus? It means he thought it through, like I was, he planned on how to go to people. It means that he released his rights to go to people. It means he humbled himself to go to people. It means he sacrificed himself to go to people. And it meant that he was willing to receive the reward after it cost him everything. That's what it looked like for Jesus to go. See that? See, that's big. See, that's huge. See, see going means that many of us, we, we, we've got to think about what it looks like to reach people. It means that we have to release our rights and privileges. 
It means we have to humbly go to serve people. It means that we are going to and require some sacrifice if we're gonna reach people with the gospel. It is not an easy call to go. It is a tough call to go. So we looked at the definition to move. We looked at the model of Jesus Christ. In our closing time, I'm gonna ask us this, what's missing? What's missing if we don't go? Why go? The first reason is this, if we don't go, we miss the goal of God. See, Jesus' call to make disciples of all nations and go to do that is God's plan A. There is no plan B. He said, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be people that make disciples. The first is this, that we miss the goal of God. Secondly, we miss being part of God's work. If we don't go, we don't get to be part of what God is doing. Um, this is a hilarious story for me. Um, and I've probably shared it before, and so I'm sorry if I've shared it before, but when I was in college, um, I, I did not want to share my faith. I didn't. And there was a guy in my class, in one of my classes, and he was the guy that didn't do the homework assignments, didn't uh, study well, but wanted to take all of our notes and get all of our assignments from us. And, and I remember, we, there's several moments, we, we'd be studying for the final, studying for like different midterms or whatever, and it came down to the final, and it's our last time to study together, and, and he's just like, okay, what, what did the professor say? And he's like getting all of our stuff and taking all of our notes, and, and at one point, uh, as we're studying, um, he begins asking me about my faith. He's like, okay, so you're a Christian? And I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, and he was, happened to be Jewish, and, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's great, and we start kind of talking about faith, and then he says to me, hey, Kevin, I have all these questions about Jesus. Will you meet with me again and, uh, and tell me more about Jesus? And I said, I said, yeah, great, no problem. Give me your number, and we'll do it. We go to take the final, and I don't call him back. A year later, um, I, I'm walking with a friend of mine. We're walking down the street at uh, University of Texas across from uh, Dean Keaton. That's where we're walking. And so I'm walking down the street, and he's in um, law school at the time. I didn't realize this until we started talking. He sees me across the way. He says, Kevin, Kevin. He runs across four lanes of traffic over to me. He says, hey, and he has this buddy in tow. And he's like, hey, this is my buddy. Um, we're both in law school now. And he's like, hey, we were talking a little while ago about you know, the suffering servant in Isaiah. So like, have you know, hey, can you meet with us and like tell us more about Jesus? I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Why don't you give me your number and I'll, we'll give you a call. And we'll talk some more. Gives me his number. I never call him. Two years later, I'm in a ministry moment where all these people are doing outreach ministry to different parts of UT campus. And there's all these people that are doing ministries. We're all being kind of mobilized for this thing. And I go to that meeting and I see Jewish guy in the room. And he walks over to me and he says, Kevin. And I'm like, Christians, you, what are you doing here? He says, I came to Christ two months ago. You blew it. (laughs) And I was like, so the meeting went on, and afterward he goes, yeah, man, I had all these questions about Jesus. And I wanted you to share your faith. But finally God brought someone along, and he led me to Christ, and now I want to reach Jewish law students with the gospel. Now, did I stop him from going to heaven? No, I trust God with that. But I missed being a part of God's work. And let me tell you what, every time I share my faith with someone, which actually has been very frequent in Tomball, 
I'm terrified. And I'm your pastor. I get paid for this thing, right? Like, I'm scared. Because I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be awkward. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, like, all those insecurities, guess what? I have them too. But being part of what God is doing is more important than my little insecurities. Being part of seeing people's lives change is more important than my little fears. Having the courage to say, Lord, will you just do something through me? Maybe it'll happen. And and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had at my kids' soccer games, at my kids' gymnastics practice. You know why? It's not because I'm good at it. I'm not. I'm good at a few things, like two. The rest of it I'm terrible, including this. You know what I do? I say, hey, my name is Kevin. What's your name? What's your kid doing? And I just start talking to them about their kid, and then inevitably, inevitably, the question comes up, what do you do? And I'm like, okay, here it is. (laughs) I'm a pastor at an amazing church called Bay City Fellowship. And they're like, okay, well, what got you into that? And I have my little spiel. You know what's funny is that I haven't had a single person when I approach it that way turn me off. And it's not because I'm not good at it. It's because I'm just saying I'm gonna go. I don't wanna miss the goal of God. I don't wanna miss being part of God's work. And number three, if we don't go, we miss on purpose. I chose that phrasing purposefully because some of us miss on purpose. Like when I'm playing dodgeball with my kids, sometimes I miss on purpose. Not often, but every now and then, uh, my little five-year-old daughter, I'll be like, okay, can't get you, and I'll throw it that way and let her run. Um, other times, though, especially my boys, like you're gonna take the full heat of daddy on this one. <laughs> There's not a lot of safe places where I can you know, go all out on you, but this is it right here in this moment with this softball. Many of us in life are missing our purpose on purpose. See, the purpose of your life, Jesus gave it right here. Your purpose in life is to make disciples. That's what he told these men, and he didn't tell them and not you. The reason this was written down and translated into Greek was so that it could be spread to the world. The reason we translate this into English and talk about it on Sunday mornings and in small groups and all different areas is so that you will have it. The reason we have the mission of God communicated to us is because this is the purpose of your life and my life. And every other purpose you chase will leave you empty because you will have to hang up that hat at some point. My coach in college always said it this way, everyone, even though I was an athlete for a long time, they said at some point, everyone has to hang up their spikes. Everyone has to call it quits. Some of you, even though you're raising kids and that is a lifelong commitment, I know that, there will come a moment when they are off on their own and some of you will go, what do I do now that I'm an empty nester? Some of you are in work and you're pursuing, you're climbing the corporate ladder and trying to build your little little thing and you're chasing that and once I have my career and, and everything and then I'll have my lake house, like you'll have all of your stuff and there will come a point when you are no longer working your job and you'll be confronted with this challenge of purpose. When I was in college, I remember talking with a, with a man 
who had just sold his company for millions of dollars. And he came to Austin and he was meeting with our little ministry because this man in his 40s, although he had made millions, had no purpose. And I sat in the car with him and I drove him to the airport and he said, I, I achieved more than I ever imagined and now I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. And so I'm in my 20s and I'm talking to this man in his 40s and I said, I don't know the exact nuances of the purpose of your life but here's the purpose of my life. I'm here to follow Jesus Christ and that'll never change and no change in job is ever gonna change that. I'm here to make disciples of all nations. And no shift in job and no challenge in life will ever change that. C.S. Lewis says this, the church, not this physical body, but the people in the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs, if they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. This is the purpose for which you have made to go and make disciples. So the, in closing... There's a couple questions I want you to ask yourself. First is, why, why am I not taking that step? What's holding me back? What's stopping me from going to make disciples? Well, Kevin, do I have to go overseas? Yeah, you might. Kevin, do I have to go to my next door neighbor? Yeah, you might. Kevin, do I have to go to that person in my business? Yeah, you might. Kevin, do I have to, do I have to go to my granddaughter or my grandson? Yeah, you might. I don't know where you're gonna go, but I know it requires you to go. What's holding you back? Next question would be this. What's stopping you from growing to be a disciple maker so that you can go more effectively? What's holding you back? And what's stopping you from growing so you're ready? Our prayer team is gonna be up here to close. And there may be several things, several ideas that you might want prayer for. One might be for courage to actually have that conversation to step into that relationship. For others of you, you know someone that maybe you've even been sharing your faith with and, and, and walking with them for a while. And so maybe it's to have our, one of our prayer partners pray for their salvation alongside of you. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a family member, maybe it's just a friend that you have. We wanna pray with you. Or maybe it's someone's struggle that we can pray for alongside of you. Or for some of you, before you go and do, he first, Jesus first calls his disciples to come. Come receive forgiveness of your sins. Come experience what it looks like to be in a relationship with your heavenly father. For some of you, before you go, you first must come to get salvation from Christ alone. So for some of you, you need to come forward and pray that you might receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I don't know your response, but I encourage you to take your next step. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you that you have called us to yourself. 
And Jesus, thank you that you call us to live an adventure. To live not a normal, mundane, nine to five life, but one in which can be world changing. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be men and women. You would make us in, into people that take seriously your call to go and make disciples. And there's all sorts of things that might be holding us back from really taking this call seriously. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, to come for prayer for courage. To come, see, receive forgiveness and empowerment to live a new life. Lord, I pray that we would not be stagnant. We would be people that move for your glory and our good. Amen.